Hello, my name is Emily Gish, and this is my Critical Family History podcast for LED 303. I love my family. One of the things I loved so much growing up was just that I felt so comfortable um, just trying to find who I was as a person and discovering what my passions were, and I just got full blessing from my family for that. A lot of my passions can be categorized into art, not just painting, but photography as well. Crafty things, making things with my hands, organization, all of this I consider artistic abilities. And one of the main things I want to share with you is just kind of where I got these artistic inspirations from. Why did I go into art as a passion and um, why did I find that that was a calling on my life? But first, I would like to introduce myself a little more. As I shared before, my name's Emily Gish, and art has been kind of a part of my life since I was nine. Um, I really discovered then that I wanted to be an artist um, through an art class I had. Um, I had an art teacher named Brenda, and it was more of a private art session, but she introduced acrylic paints to me um, through painting on canvas. It was a simple painting of a flower in a vase, a giant sunflower, but I just loved the experience. I loved using colors and having this this feeling of what color should come next or what brush I should use or what texture would look best on a flower. It really is hard to describe painting, but um, for me, it's a gut reaction, just a feeling that I know what stroke needs to come next um, to form a picture and it's therapeutic for me. It's peaceful, and I really love what I do. What came out of this was a curiosity and a fire that I wanted to satisfy. I wanted to go learn more about art. I wanted to explore my passions and the things I loved involving art. I became very self-taught, and eventually I went to classes. I took classes in school as well, Eventually, I formed an art business. I really wanted to get straight to making money, and my dad just threw out a suggestion that I should sell my art pieces that I've been practicing on, and I loved that idea. I started a small business called Happy Little Hedgehog with my mom, and we just did a craft fair annually uh, where I sold my paintings, and they were really awful. They were literally cartoons, like little sticks, and um, birds, but I loved it all the same. I felt so adultish. But hey, crazy enough, Happy Little Hedgehog became more serious business the more I grew in art through experience and through just growing my own abilities. I traded the name Happy Little Hedgehog for Sweet Pea Art Studio, and I still run it to this day. I do craft fairs with my mom, except now we do three a year, and we're considering going further. I have a blog, and I have sold so many paintings, um, as humbly as I can say that. I also do a bunch of customs, and now art has become a very, very common thing in my life. Whenever people describe who I am, my character, um, they use artistic and creative, inspiring, um, just all those big creative words, and I love it. I love that I've built my identity on the colorful side of life. 
going deeper into my art, it's not just painting I do, but I express myself through my pictures that I take with my camera. I have a photography business as well, and I love people shots. I really love trying to capture a person's beauty um, through my photos. I took a camera to India on a mission trip for over a month, and I got to film people. I got to film slums and these homeless children who have the biggest, most genuine smiles on their faces, and it was truly the most blessed experience of my life. I treasure these photos. It's my life, and I love giving that to people. I got to print out those photos for the slums people who never really look in a mirror because they don't own one. Um, I really want to capture life through the lens of my camera, and I brought that home with me as well, just that I love senior photos to capture each individual's beauty and family photos. I got to print these photos for families to keep every year and look back on for the rest of their lives, for couples to just see the beauty of a relationship. There's so much I could say through photography um, without needing the words, and it's a kind of journal for me. I could go on forever talking about my art. It's that much of a life for me. It is my life, and I could say that that's the same thing for a lot of people. I know I'm not the only one. So if you, if you relate to that, it's amazing, isn't it? Or um, just the things, the little things that inspire your, your curiosity and your passions and your, um, your loves and your joys. Um, people have taken coffee and painted with coffee. Uh, just because coffee is a big part of their life. So that could be considered an art. That was an awful example. But I just want to get across that when people say they're not artists or not creative, um, I call BS on that. I think that art is everything and anything. That everyone's creative in some form. Maybe not the traditional forms that you think of, but... I think everyone has a creative side and that everyone can be an artist. And I saw that dwelling into my family's history. The thing I want to get across is that this uh, critical family history project isn't about one event. There wasn't just one historical event that shaped our family, but a whole bunch of small colorful fragments. Each family member shaped our family line just by being who they felt called to be. In fact, as I go into the interviews, I want to find out if they grew up like me, where I had the freedom to grow up and discover who I was and what my passions were just by living my life and exploring my curiosities. Because I believe that's what my family members did. Through this this project, I got to discover more about each individual family member, not just um, an event that defined us all. I believe that where I'm at today through the generations before me, um, that all of them were shaped just by getting to discover who they were as people, Um, that each one had historical events that made up our family line, our family history. Um, And one of the greatest discoveries was just that all of us 
can be related together, both sides of my family, the biological and non. It just, that creativity can connect us all. My family is really artistic, and I had such a joy getting to discover these. My goal through this podcast is to answer the question, how did creativity in each of my family members' individual lives affect future generations to come? A lot went into the making of this question. A lot of inspiration, however, came from my LAD 310 class. Kristen French is a huge fan of Beverly Tatum, and so we had the good fortune of getting to read a bunch of her articles, one of which is called The Complexity of Identity. And I found a lot of inspiration in this article. So I'd just like to share a quote from it. And actually, it's the very beginning of the article. It's about the concept of identity and the complexity of it. Who am I? The concept of identity is a complex one, shaped by individual characteristics, family dynamics, historical factors, and social and political contexts. Who am I? The answer depends in a large part on who the world around me says I am. Who do my parents say I am? Who do my peers say I am? What message is reflected back to me in the faces and voices of my teachers, my neighbors, store clerks? What do I learn from the media about myself? How am I presented in the culture or images around me? Or am I missing from the picture altogether? As social scientist Charles Cooley pointed out long ago, other people are the mirror in which we see ourselves. This article tackles the concept of identity very well. It's very detail-oriented, trying to describe identity in many different ways through culture and races and the types of people you are through your religion, through family. Um, While I'm going to emphasize identity through family members, I just really appreciated how this introduction to the article captured um, the complexity and the broad subject of identity, and I thought I could incorporate it. As Beverly listed, your identity can be formed through not just your family and your own personal life, but through teachers and neighbors social media, your culture, your race, your religion, all of this affects our identity. And as I listen to my family stories through other family members, I can't help but ask how they developed their identities. All right, one of the fortunes I get to have is having an interview with my aunt and my cousin and my friend. We're just going to get to talk a little bit about um, the Emerson side of my family's creativity. So I'm going to ask my aunt a few questions. This is Karen. Hello. Hello. And Maddie. Hello. And Mariah. Hiya. (laughs) And so it's just going to be a pretty casual conversation. But I'd like to ask my aunt a few questions if that's all right. Sure. Awesome. Okay. So I just want to open it up to asking... Um, how would you describe yourself creatively? Uh, I have a variety of pieces to my creative side. Um, one is the performance side. That's probably the biggest piece of my creativity. Love singing. I love dancing. I've always loved acting. I put all of those together and musical theater was my biggest passion growing up. Um, that turned into more of a 
singing venture and I've pretty much stuck with singing the rest of my adult life. Um, and so that's where I put most of my creative um, desires into is, is singing. Um, but there are other things I do like to do. I like to, um, I like to make cards with paper. I used to love stamping. Um, I love decorating. Um, I have found in the more recent years, I love cooking and baking. That's, those are things that I didn't care for as much as before, but now I'm finding different ways to be creative. So, um, kind of, uh, boring things but creative to me and fulfilling to me and you're taking your creativity a little further into your career I believe I think that being a nurse in the ICU at our local hospital is also probably has a lot of creativity involved in that there's it's a different level of creativity for sure um I get a little bit OCD and like to have things organized in a certain way Mm -hmm. some people could think of that as creative um it for me is just the best way to do my job um, but I would say that the way I take my, um, my creative passions into my work is I sing to my patients. Oh. Yeah, I, um, I have the privilege of being a part of people passing from this life to the next. And um, a lot of times when families have made that decision for their loved one um, and they're holding vigil at their bedside, I get the privilege and honor to be next to them. And um, I will either sing quietly to myself or if I um, get their permission, I will sing in the room to, to them, to the patient. It's a very holy ground that you are on when you're passing from one life to the next. And the angels and your ancestors and God are in that room with you. And um, for me to be able to be a part of that and help make that easy or that smooth transition, um, is is an honor and a blessing for me and it's a way that God has allowed me to use my voice uh, both figuratively and um, and literally to um, be um, a part of making that passing that much easier that's so beautiful I didn't know you did that yeah that's so cool yeah I've done that since I started nursing how many years has that been nine years Nine years. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Nine years, and in the ICU, I see a lot more, um, a lot more death than I did in my previous department. But even the nurses from my previous department know that that's what I do, and when their family members are in the hospital, they've asked me to come sing to their family members when they've been um, making that transition themselves, and it's just it is a real. It's a blessing and an honor to me to be a part of that very holy, sacred time. Honestly, yeah, very true. All right. Um, This is part two of the same interview. Um, I actually, I want to know, did you pick up all of your, your passions from somewhere? Was someone inspiring to you or... Was one of your family members inspiring to you? Music started in our family, from what I can recall, with um, Grandma Nanny's dad, mm. Grandpa Don, your great-grandpa Don. He was an organist, and oh. he loved playing the organ. Um, my great-grandma Nanny, your great-great-grandma, Grandpa Don's mom, 
uh, was a school teacher as well, and um, she raised him to be musical and play the organ. And she loved music as well, but she, to my knowledge, was not a musician. She had passed that into Greg Don. And so as from the time I can remember going to see him in the summertime in California, um, he had a organ with foot pedals uh, in his living room and a little monkey that would sit up on his organ and clap its cymbals back and forth. And I thought it was the funniest toy. And he would sit there and he'd play the organ and the monkey, it was a monkey, it was a toy, but the toy would clap its cymbals and he'd play the organ to the beat of the cymbals and it was the most bizarre memory, but that's where I remember most of my uh, initial childhood exposure to music. And then when Nanny and Papa got married, um, he plays piano and sings and every night, every single night before we went to bed, Papa would sit down at the piano and play old tunes, um, songs from Fats Waller and Crystal Gale and all, just anything that you can think of, Oak Ridge Boys, whatever, old standards, Cole Porter, and he would play them and sing them and I would learn them with him and I started singing them with him. And so from the time I was about seven on, I would sing every night with Papa mm. and my love for music and singing just grew from there. And so I'd say between the two of them, my love and passion for music was rooted in, in my childhood between the two of them. Yeah, I remember Grandpa's grandpa's piano. Mm-hmm. And I was always curious where, where his passion came from because I do remember one of my fond memories was Grandpa playing the piano for the worship team at the church. Mm-hmm. He doesn't still do that, right? No, he doesn't do that anymore. He's he, too old. Yeah. He has a hard time standing. Grandpa's passion didn't start as a passion. Mm-hmm. His mom, your great-grandma Helen, wanted him to be a concert pianist. That was her dream for him as an adult. And so she was very insistent that he spend hours at the piano every day as a child practicing classical pieces. And as many children do, they grew out of their love. He grew out of his love for piano because of... Um, someone else's desire for him to do mm-hmm. it as opposed to his own. So he never forgot how to play, clearly, but his love and his passion for piano playing diminished as he got older, mm-hmm. as did the dream of becoming a concert pianist. So um, I think that's probably a key piece of people's creativity as an adult is how was it honed as a child? Did you have somebody supporting you? Did you have somebody pushing you? Mm-hmm. Did you have somebody choosing it for you? Did you develop it on your own? You know, there's many, I think there's many different pieces to that kind of a puzzle. And unfortunately for Papa, he, Grandma Helen really wanted something for him that he didn't necessarily want himself. Mm. Fortunately for us, he never quit playing. Yeah. <laughs> and it turned into a love the older he got. And mm. he still plays to this day. And that's what, found that's what inspired Taylor to pee to play piano is every time they would go down to see Nanny and Papa um, over breaks or whatever Papa would sit down and play piano and Taylor would sit there with him and that was his if you ever asked Taylor he would tell you straight up that's his inspiration 
What's crazy is that kind of how, or that's how it started for me as well. It's more so just, I remember grandpa playing at the piano and my mom was just telling me, she was like, I'm so sad that I didn't, I didn't learn to play an instrument later or earlier on in life mm-hmm. because I feel like starting early is, um, is most effective. For sure. And that that's where you can start growing, um, for future reference and she's just always been sad that she's never known how to play an instrument because mm-hmm. it's just something freely you can do Mariah I saw that like just oh I was so jealous when we were at Alex's house and she was just like continuously playing the piano for such a long time and it was like serenading us all and it was just beautiful <laughs> and she can play piano she can play guitar um and it's just more she so sings. and she sings oh my goodness but she <laughs> she just can always turn to the instruments and just be able to play mm-hmm. at whatever mood and i think that that's something so special mm-hmm. um but i do remember starting piano because my mom said that because mm-hmm. i wanted to learn how mm-hmm. to play an instrument and have that later on <laughs> not that mm-hmm. i kept doing it but mm-hmm. yeah just even something as simple as that mm-hmm. really actually started a part of my life and I still sit down and play a couple songs I know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And this is part three with my interview with my aunt. Um, and I'm actually just going to go straight into talking about um, the Emerson side of our family. Um, Papa was um, my grandma's second husband. And um, I have a grandpa, Eric, who is very, very passionate about photography and has grown um, into a professional landscape artist. So I'm just gonna ask um, where that all kind of started. So Grandpa Eric had an amazing mother. Her name was Dorothy. She went by Dot (laughs) in her younger years. Dot Taylor was her maiden name, Taylor. So Dorothy Taylor, she, was a very strong, independent, single woman for, bless you, kitty, (laughs) for uh, several years before she had a family. Mm. Uh, She had a passion for photography, and uh, she and her girlfriend were, her friends, uh, lived in L.A. together, and they um, both were photographers, and they worked for a magazine called Look Magazine, mm-hmm. which is a very famous magazine at the time, fashion magazine at the time, um, very similar to um, People Magazine, um, uh, also uh, like Life Magazine. Um, and so she was in the, the starlit Hollywood world for a long time, taking photographs of very famous men and women, um, being a part of that genre of artistry. Um, And then um, she met my grandpa John on the side of a road (laughs) and he was, he was hitchhiking and she picked him up and they fell in love and got married, had three amazing young boys, one right after the other. And grandma Dorothy took over um, the rest of her, young adult life being mom and she never lost her passion for photography uh, but clearly um, stepped out of the world of photography I believe Grandpa John was in the military and so they did do some traveling Um, but 
she devoted her life to her boys and um, and after they got older and married and went off with their their lives and families she picked up photography again and just did some um, she she was more of a um, of a, a a photographer of people originally and it evolved into landscape um, but I remember her taking photos doing photo shoots with your mom and I, when we were little, when we would go down to visit her, she always had her camera in the car with her. Um, but in her older years, she um, she um, she always had faith in God, but um, she didn't really commit her her life to God, um, or she recommitted her life um, in her sixties. Wow! Um, when she was at church one Sunday, that a missionary came and was talking about. Um, mission trips and and missionary posts in Europe and she knew right away that God was calling her to do that and to use her photography which was um, a huge blessing for her because it was a passion and so she um, she went over to Belgium for several years and worked for a magazine over there taking a Christian magazine taking um, photographs of all of the landscape over there one of my very favorites of hers was she was on a um, a bus going through the Alps, and she um, was hoping to um, take some photos of some of the peaks in the landscape. And it was a super cloudy day, and um, they couldn't see anything. They could barely see off the side of the cliff where the bus was driving. And randomly, in the she was praying about it. She really wanted to have that moment. Um, to take those pictures and at that moment the clouds literally parted and there was a huge beautiful landscape of of peaks and on top of one of the peaks in the very far distance was a cross mm. and she snapped that picture and that they published that picture and I have that picture framed in my house it's probably one of the only ones I have of hers but it is my very favorite because it was just another way that God was saying okay here you go <laughs> um so and she did that until she she was taking pictures she built a, a dark room this is all before digital she built a dark room in her garage I remember that was the coolest place in her mm. house when we would go visit her in California in her garage um and she took pictures as as long as I can remember. She was still taking pictures until she passed away. Wow, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's kind of what inspired Grandpa to go into photography? I'm sure it did. Um, you know, our mothers inspire us to do many different things in our lives. Um, one of um, one of my uncles, one of Grandpa Eric's brothers, is a missionary. And so I think that um, Grandma's faith was really an important piece of his growing up, and that's the direction his life went. Mm. Um, I think that her photography was absolutely something that um, was um, an integral piece of Grandpa Eric's upbringing. And um, when she passed away, I don't recall him doing a lot of photography before she passed away, but um, he inherited all of her photography equipment and 
all of her pictures in her home. He was mm-hmm. one of her main caretakers towards the end of her life. Um, I'm sure that seeing the life in the pictures, what she saw through the lens uh, was, well, I don't know how it couldn't have been inspirational to someone. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I know that... Um, I know that that was inspirational to Grandpa for sure, mm-hmm. um, and he's um, he definitely inherited that eye and that craft from her. I think the same way you've acquired it from him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so hear that, Maddie? Are you inspired by your mom? <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I I do I do think a big inspiration for photography came from Grandpa. Um, Grandpa Eric, who does these really, really gorgeous um, landscape photos, he travels the world, and we're always hearing about um, his treks and his adventures in these most incredible places that look like they could be on Pinterest. I am excited. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I definitely think that a big part of that inspired me to want to travel and that's where I picked up a camera and wanted to be able to capture those moments that I experience as I adventure and so my grandpa has been a huge um, role in me learning um, the technical side of a camera and even the creative side of a camera and so I've always just been very thankful for that he's still a mentor to this day for me Um, but it's just cool to get to learn a little more of grandpa's backstory. Mm -hmm. Nina, I've got one more question for you. Um, and I was just wondering how does your artistic endeavors shape who you are and possibly generations to come? Uh, That involves you, Maddie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I think my love and passion for music is quite evident to my children. Uh, we are constantly singing, you know, in the car, they sing and play with me at church. Um, I don't know that, um, um, I guess I don't know that they would be the ones to tell you if I've rubbed off on them, <laughs> but hopefully not given them a hate for it, but a love and passion for it. Uh, no, definitely. But I, I love all kinds of music and I love all kinds of arts and um you know, music in particular is in, is, is in my core. It is in my soul and my being. Um, I feel it internally. And so you can't know me and not know my love for music. And so I, you know, I hope that for my children that, uh, my love and passion for it has been nothing but an inspiration not an annoyance, although there are some times I'm sure that the things I listen to is maybe not their first choice, <laughs> but it is very interesting to see, you know, what we're, the, and they both love music in different ways. Taylor loves playing music. Mm-hmm. He doesn't necessarily love listening to it, which is, I think, a very interesting. He listens to classical. I think that's it's a very, he, he listens to classical and he listens to heavy metal. I don't know. <laughs> That's the broad spectrum for I, all You know, of us. I'm not quite sure. I mean, I've listened to heavy metal. That probably comes from his dad more than me. But it's interesting as a musician, which I would call him, that he, he chooses 
that he just doesn't really want necessarily to listen just sit down and have music in the background mm-hmm. he just wants to play it mm-hmm. whereas maddie has music going almost 24 7 music is such a big part of my life yeah if i don't bring earbuds to school i will cry like, <laughs> i so, feel that. i have a spare in my backpack i have a spare in my car and i always bring my normal pair of earbuds because i'm always listening to music wherever i go wherever i'm walking like even if it's just to my next class which is like a minute away i'm like <laughs> okay, got to put my earbuds in, but... For me, I think, you know, ultimately, I can relate different areas and times of my life to music. Mm -hmm. And one of these days, I will sit down and I will make a soundtrack to my life. Mm -hmm. And I will pick songs that were important or um, uh, very meaningful to me at certain times of my life and I, I'll sit down and I'll make a mixtape of them because that m- music is such a sensory, um, a- an important piece of sensory uh, to your memory that it, it can in- ignite passion and it can ignite sadness and happiness and joy um laughter whatever it may be um but i think for me uh, if if i didn't have music my life would be so quiet and so i would love to sit down and make a soundtrack of my life i think it's also super duper important to know that it's not just our parents who who affect us i think that i know that you have always been parent for me just in that way I like one of my favorite stories I love telling people is just that um when my mom was pregnant with me um my aunt during during um my mom's final stages of pregnancy my aunt was in um a musical Cinderella and she played the fairy godmother and it was such a big deal and I just um I was told that Um, When my mom went into labor, it was a couple days before showings, and my aunt dropped the role completely just to come be with my mom, Um, and she ended up living with us and taking care of me and my mom, Um, and I just, I've always, I've always loved to share that, but even then, you can imagine that that, um, that art is still, like, it's still a part of my story to even start off my life (laughs) and how my aunt and my mom really led me to dwell into musicals and into music in general and that's impacted my life so enormously musicals actually brought me my friends through high school and the people that I'm still in contact with are my musical friends in fact my roommate here was in the musicals with me and that's kind of where we kicked off our relationship and I don't know just these are the things I love to think about that simple things like my aunt loving musicals brought me all of my friends and that's so crazy to think about I'm just kind of having that revelation right now so yeah it's not just your kids you're affecting Nina it's 
me. Mm. So Even people at church. I know that one yeah. of the reasons why I started worshiping was listening to you Sunday mornings. Oh, that's <laughs> one okay. of the biggest things. <laughs> and now being able to be next to you, worshiping alongside you, mm-hmm. is literally a dream fulfilled. Oh, sweetheart. That's very sweet of you. <laughs> you know, there's a whole different element to to singing when you are worshiping. I mean, that is... That's a whole other discussion we can have another day. But for me, that is when I'm absolutely closest to God, is when I'm singing. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you put me on a beach and let me sing at the same time, that's my heaven on earth. <laughs> I feel that very, very, very much. Anyway, thank you so much for having this interview with me, Nina. For thank you, Mariah and Maddie, thank you guys for joining as well um, and contributing. I, I got a lot out of that. Thank you. Man, I love my aunt. I've always loved my aunt a lot. I've always felt close to her. It was really great to get to interview her and have that little revelation at the end, just that my mom and her really did shape my life. And without them, I probably wouldn't be friends with all the same people as I am today. So I'm so thankful for them. As I got to thinking more about my mom and my aunt's relationship, It reminded me of a chapter out of the book Affirming Diversity, the Sociopolitical Context of Multicultural Education. And it reminded me of chapter five, which is on culture, identity, and learning. There is a point in the book where it talks about how people who were grown up in the same household in the same culture can come out completely different, which is kind of what I wanted to talk about in this podcast. So I'm just going to read um, a paragraph from this chapter. While culture is integral to the learning process, it may affect individuals differently. In other words, culture is not destiny. Culture is not destiny. That was a highlight for me. Given differences in social class and family structure, individual psychological and emotional differences in experiences, birth order, residence, and host of other individual and social distinctions, it is fully to think that culture alone accounts for all human differences. Anyone who has a child can confirm this truth. Two offspring from the same parents and the same culture and social class and raised in substantially the same way can turn out to be as different as night and day. Hence, culture is neither static nor deterministic. It gives us just one way in which to understand differences among students. The assumption that culture is the primary determinant of academic achievement can be oversimplistic, dangerous, and counterproductive, because although culture may influence, it does not determine who we are. I love how this paragraph kind of explains why each of my family members are so uniquely creative. We're not just a family of photographers or not just a family of bakers or cookers, but each family member brings their own special flavor to our family. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to get across with this podcast, just that our family wasn't affected by one thing by one event in our history or anything it's just that each family member does bring their own unique creativity that affects generations and affects the people around them just that 
because each family member does bring something unique to the family, that just makes us a very diverse and very broad and colorful family. And I'd like to think that all of their different types of creativity are in me, just because that was something that they brought to the table. I loved how in my interview with my aunt, she brought up things like um, Grandma Dorothy, who was a photographer for Look Magazine, and so her focus was on um, portrait and on people, and then she took it to the mission field where her inspiration was Jesus, and just that her works turned into inspirations for other people, and it just was... um, used to broadcast and used to um, let the people know what's going on in the world. And then that inspired my grandpa, who's a landscape photographer. He doesn't do a lot of portrait work, but he is a professional landscaper. And so that has caused him to travel the world and take pictures of the world, not of people, but just of the beautiful scenery that we're not getting to experience because traveling is hard. Another example that my aunt used was just that um, my grandpa Gary, his father was a really, really swell organ player, Um, just really a complex um, instrument, and he was so good at it, and Gary's mom really pressured him a little bit into taking piano like his father. And while he grew up playing piano, it wasn't a passion of his until he grew to love Jesus and then went and played piano for the worship team. And then all of a sudden, piano did become a passion of his because his inspiration came from somewhere else, not just because it was an instrument. And then this, Domino's Fall, it affected my little cousin, Taylor, who now is this crazy piano player for his age just just starting high school and he's this crazy prodigy and now piano is one of his um social tactics it's one of his passions that he takes everywhere he goes and so just by the simple um fact that he heard grandpa play all of a sudden taylor's whole life has changed So I think that that's just such a great example. Photography compared to um, piano, and it's all on the same side of the family. Just such broad talents and such broad passions, but each are affecting the today family. And so Joe is part of a company that films really extreme sports and are also stump doubles, so it was really cool. Um, Who or what inspired you, and who's the creative gene in your family? Joe's answer to that was, my college roommate was my first inspiration, introducing me to the world of downhill and videography. We worked on a bunch of shoots together and eventually brought me out to Canada to help him film one of the biggest downhill skateboarding events in the world. He also said about his family, I'd love, or I'd say a lot of us in my family have a creative gene of some sort. We all used to play a lot with Legos when we were younger, building all sorts of things. Will started drawing a lot, 
and in and is now an industrial designer. And Jake has become somewhat of a chef over the years, probably picking up some from my mom and dad, who are both great cooks. Dad doesn't cook that often, but he has been in woodworking since I was a baby, building a lot of furniture in our house. He also designs parts of printers. Already through this interview, I'm beginning to see a lot in that paragraph we just read, just that um, each of his family members have such unique qualities about their creativity, just that none of them really share um, similar passions, but um, for some reason, they all just found different ways of being creative, like Joe and his videography in extreme sports, and um, Will, who's an industrial designer for different appliances, and uh, Jake, the youngest brother, who actually is also on a Frisbee team, um, but he's also getting into uh, culinary. And Joe seems to think he picked that up from his parents. My last two questions were, did anyone in our family inspire you in the arts, and did they share similar artistic talents with you? And how does your artistic endeavors shape who you are and possibly generations to come? Joe's response was, I think the range of creativity between all of us has helped and inspired me to get where I am today. Someone always has a different view or suggestion that has helped me get through the creativity road and the roadblocks ahead of it. His second response was, I think my artistic endeavors have inspired others to get out and do more. My videos from Muir have gotten many local skaters into photography or videography, as well as helped shape the communities from the content they see and want to mimic in their own events and groups. It has also made me more connected with my environment and the people I'm around, which I believe has made me more creative and a better human being in general. Thank you, Joe, for your responses. Um, I think that that gives me a whole nother perspective looking back on my family and later generations, just that through Joe's perspective, he and his passions all developed not necessarily from his family, but from um, things going on around his life um, and the people around him. So it wasn't just his family. But once again, I can um, relate the theme that um, he was grown up in a family that let him freely pursue these things. Um, yeah, just that makes me think back once again to the later generations. And um, I want to know, I want to know what each family member um, experienced in their own lives. Um, now that it's not just coming from their own family members, but um, the things that they encountered in their regular, ordinary, everyday life as they went through schooling, um, as they went through different experiences, what inspired them um, to grow in their own passions and to find their own unique creativity. It's fun to know that that's an option to research a little more into. Now, this podcast is originating from um, an elementary education class I'm taking at Western in Woodring, um, for LED 310. And one of the main priorities is just figuring out how we can incorporate culture and iniquity into our classroom setting. Um, 
Yeah, and so one of the things I'm realizing I want to do with this podcast is um, relate my purpose of the podcast to what I could potentially do as a teaching strategy later on. One of the things I want each of my students to feel is what each of my family members feel, just that we can grow up um, with the freedom to follow our passions and the freedom to explore um, the things we love. And so I just wanted to share an article we read in class. It's called Where I'm From, Inviting Students' Lives into the Classroom by Linda Christensen. The purpose of this article is to help inspire teachers to explore different strategies on how to um, help students express themselves and where they come from, their backgrounds and their history. Um, This example is called the I Am From Poem. She encourages students to write about their lives and about the worlds in which they come from, um, where students can creatively write about their homes or about their childhoods or about certain events in their lives and just help them to um, express it and comprehend it and share it, Um, make it an art rather than just um, a page in a history book. The point this author is trying to get across is just that she knows that not all the students are dwelling in safe homes with white picket fences and big backyards, um, that their moms didn't all have crafts for them to do or their dads didn't help them to build toy swords and play with them, but just to acknowledge that every student's background is different and that that is so accepted and embraced. I love this exercise. In fact, I want to incorporate this into my classroom. I want my students to create their I Am From poems and to really embrace um, where they came from. And whether it was in a good or bad place, I want them to grow from it. Part of this class had us do our own I Am From poems and share it with others. And so I just wanted to share mine. My I Am From poem is pretty much related around my childhood. I found a lot of inspiration with how I grew up in my family. And yeah, I just wanted to share it. I Am From by Emily Gish. I am from scrunchies to ponytails and back to scrunchies. From beginning wavy, conflicted natural, fortress straight to freedom of curl. Mom used to decide until the pierce took over. Now independent and full of my style, a Pinterest-based trendsetter, silver stories on each finger. I am from fall, winter, and back to fall. Breezes from brisk, frigid, to revitalizing, always in thrifted, high-quality, scratchy armor. Can't help falling in love with you, sang Haley Reinhardt, hangs in the air and on gum wraps. Belly of the deepest love initiates meditation in Poppy the Pig, followed by the collection. I am from a family of spontaneous and structure. Wicked on Broadway to Sunday lunches at 10.30 a.m. after church. Days that go unexpected. Full of witchy cackles and an outbreak of curls. Versus laid-back family conversations over brunch and big old balls of dumplings. I am from the downstairs and upstairs. Living summers near a castle guarded by acrylics to a creek full of water-skipping mom slippers. My gazebo vacant of grapes until strung up bulbs lit them to life. Smoke bends and breaks around the clusters of juice. I am from glory to glory, from freedom to more freedom, 
Discovering the purpose in the sun brings about identity. Oceans become deeper. Trust in swimming becomes stronger. I am from crap is a bad word, golly, fudge crackers, and crab apples. Satisfying the curses, a replacement for the innocent. Misunderstood words rebound against its user. I am from vanilla and anything pumpkin. From sweet to strong. Mom, the Dairy Queen, sarcastically looks disgusted at the princess sitting on the counter, drinking a black liquid of bitterness. She who has the love of unique old people caffeine. I am from a loving family. Affection tanks filled to the brim like a large banana-flavored Slurpee. The greatest love couple ever. Never once a thought of packing inspires the princess. She and the lion find refuge in each other now, and they look up at the painted stars with joy. Beloved of diverse groups, bound by a dollar pack of marshmallows. I am Anne with an E, and this is where I'm from. I just wanted to read the little piece that I wrote at the end as well. Reading the poems from Linda Christensen had in her examples also made me compare and contrast my life with the author of the poems. I read about key life events that shaped their writings. An example being divorced parents. Reading about personal details like this made me pinpoint how these life experiences affect my own life. My parents are together, and have always been together. My castle playground in the backyard, interactions with both sides of my family, my continuous growth in faith, drinking coffee with my mom in our house, my dad's gazebo, never seriously suffering from any lack of love. All of this is what makes up my poem. All of this makes up my life. And all of this wouldn't have taken place had my parents not been together throughout my whole life. Bottom line, this assignment in these articles gave me a deeper perspective on my life, especially remembering the simple things in life that I recognized as a child as valuable, like the significance of a small castle-themed playground in our backyard. Relating this back to the classroom setting, each student will be coming in with a different I am from poem, full of memories, painful and good, but all life-defining. The tremendous, the tremendous diversity you will find in a class is great. It's important as an educator and a role model for the students that you live um, in this understanding and can adapt to each child's needs. Keeping the theme of childhoods in mind, um, I want to interview my grandma, who's my dad's mom, and her mom really impacted her life in a very beautiful way, just that um, from what little I know, um, my great-grandma would um, make all of my grandma's clothes, and um, this went all the way past high school, and um, this was a cause and effect where my grandma made my dad and my two aunts clothes as well. And so this also followed into uh, my grandma learning how to cook, and her cooking really affected my life and was even in my I Am From poem, just how our Sunday brunches um, really shaped my childhood. And so I just wanted to share an interview I had with my grandma and my grandpa. Hello, so I'm sitting down with an interview with my um, my grandma and my grandpa on the Gish side, which is my dad's family. Um, and we're just gonna talk a little bit about their lives growing up. Hi grandma, hi grandpa. Hi Annie. Hi. 
Okay. <laughs> awesome. So I'm just going to kind of ask you guys a couple of questions and it'll direct the conversation pretty easily. Okay. Um, so I kind of just want to get an idea where you feel like your creativity lies, just you as a person. My creativity. Yeah. Okay. I don't feel too creative when I <laughs> see my grandchildren and my children and what they can do. Um, I imagine everything I do, I must attribute it to my mother and my father. And, well, actually, my peers in school and all this sort of stuff. Um, you want me to tell you about my mother now? Yeah, you can just go into talk. Oh, okay. Uh, remembering my mother... Um, I think I remember most the fact that she did make most all of my clothes. And at the time, I felt sorry for myself because a lot of the girls had pretty store-bought clothes. Until the day that uh, our graduation day, we were all sitting out around the school signing our yearbooks. And this gal who was known to have the best clothes in town and the richest girl in town, practically, she always had beautiful clothes. Uh, she told me, she says, Bev, I'll never see you again on the parade. She says, but I've got to tell you that I've always envied you, your clothes. Oh, wow. Which was a big shock to me. So that, I appreciated my, my mother even more then. But um, I would, like, call her and say, hey, there's a dance after school or there's a dance tonight at such and such a place or something going on and when I get home here she'd have a dress or skirt blouse or something laying on the bed that she had whipped up for me on the sewing machine and uh, that's basically the way I grew up with getting clothes and also um, the ladies of the church knew how clever she was and so it was a pretty wealthy church and there were a lot of ladies several ladies that had very expensive, beautiful clothes with nice fabric and all. And they would have something and they would ask my mother if she could buy it and use it to make something for me or for herself, whatever. So some of the clothes I had, beautiful fabric. And, um, but of course I felt sorry for myself because it was so made. But I do appreciate it now. And of course her, she was a good cook, a really good cook. And probably lots of other things that she influenced my life. Some of the things that people don't like me to bring up nowadays. As far as oh, proprieties, Emily Post, and all this sort of stuff. Um, Says he said, "I don't know who Emily Post is." Uh, in my day. In my day, um, Emily Post was well known for uh, good manners and. and Thank, good, you. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Doing things properly and all this sort of stuff, and eating nicely and all this sort of stuff. And so, our family, especially this man here, <laughs> used to say, would Emily Post like that, or would she say something against it? And so I was raised where, where do you want to sit? with good manners, and hopefully I 
didn't always do it, maybe, but also um, things, you know, kind of bother me in a way. Poor table manners. Yeah. And some things that some people don't make any difference. So, anyhow, that's the way I am. That's so cool, Grandma. And... Yeah, Dad just told me just that you also kind of took that from your mom and started making clothes for them as well, right? Oh, yeah, years ago when I was sewing, yeah. I used I used to make kids, the kids' clothes. I mean, not all of them, but uh, I remember we were going to Hawaii one year, and I had, oh, I probably made about 10 outfits for Judy and Jill, and some for me and all that sort of stuff. We were in Alaska, and I have pictured our great big dining room table covered with all these different colors of fabric, and I had been sewing, and hmm. in such a hurry, I didn't even bother cleaning up after myself. <laughs> I'd scoop it aside and start cutting the other one. So, yeah, I did that. And then I did for Sarah and Julie, or Brianna and... Sarah and Julie, because I was sewing then, and then you kind of lost out. Oh, I, Grandma. Well, uh, I didn't feel bad. Poor <laughs> Sissy Sue. I'm so sad. Yeah. Oof. Well, I just actually wanted to tell you just that um, when I was in India, there would be a number of the kurtas that I, like, I don't know, they just were all a one-size kind of thing, and so sometimes it would be that the arms are too tight or whatever. Uh-huh where it would be tied around the waist. And so there was this one lady, um, her name was Moy, and she, we would always just um, take our, our clothes to her, just she was a friend, and All she Teresa. would extend it for us. But I just like, I was thinking, who would I know back here who would do that? And so you're always my like go-to person. <laughs> just that, I don't know, I see, I always see that side of you, oh, very creative. Thank you. Yeah. I just... Now I don't do it that much. I was doing some mending. I was supposed to hem some pants for Jill, and my sewing machine is on the fritz, so oh, no. I can't even do that now. Yeah. Did you yeah, always enjoy it? I did. I did. Um, I, I wasn't good. I mean, for your mom and dad's wedding, I made... <coughs> excuse me, I made the, all the flower girls' mm-hmm. dresses. And the first one, I just loved it. It was such fun making it. Mm-hmm. They were so cute. And then the second one, I thought, oh, well, let's get this done. And the third one, I thought, no, not another one. <laughs> but the thing is, like I told everybody, don't look on the inside at the seams because I am not a neat sewer. The finished product, different seams and stuff are not the way they're supposed to be. I just do it to get it done. <laughs> Excuse me. Was it kind of your grandma who taught you how to cook? No, it was my mother, but she learned from her mother. Um, I don't know that I learned to cook all that well. You're a good cook. Oh, my well, goodness. Well, no, I know. I'm, but No, what I'm saying is something then I'm not adventuresome when it comes to cooking exotic things so thank you so much anyhow mm-hmm. oh. delicious oh that's the egg thought it was so great can you interview and eat anyhow. at the same time <laughs> <laughs> you
turn it off? I didn't. Oh, okay. Um, I'll just keep it going for one more minute, and then I can pause it for your eating. Okay. Um, you know, my grandmother was a really good cook, but in those days, uh, things were so different, of course, and everything was from scratch. Never had packaged things. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it was old-fashioned by today's standards. And, uh, but my mother, she just cooked basic food, really. She wasn't adventuresome either. Mm -hmm. But it was really good. Everybody loved her cooking. And she was a great baker. And, um, like, for Thanksgiving, my stepfather would build this long table with a couple pieces of plywood and a regular table. We'd have 20, 25 people at the table uh, because they'd invite whoever didn't have a place to go. And my mother uh, would cook all the food, you know. So uh, she was she was known for her cooking, and she was especially good at fixing leftovers. <laughs> Whenever somebody was invited to fixing leftovers, when any, anybody was invited for lunch or dinner or something like that, and they found out it was leftovers, they, they're all over that. Yeah, really. But, uh, yeah, she was a good cook. She had some specialties, and I'm really sorry, and this is something you should remember. There's recipes I did not get from my mother. I wish I had. But uh, I have I have a few. Oh, it's uh, good. As far as my cooking goes, I think that... Grandpa thought I was a failure from the very first day because the first meal I cooked was breakfast and I burned the bacon. <laughs> I One of the things that this assignment makes me do is it makes me go um, deeper into thinking how it applies to me. Um, and so I think one of the major things of my childhood is just getting to grow up going to Sundays with my whole family and having grandma's meal and every single week I would be thinking all week what is grandma going to make on Sunday and so I get to have a delicious meal and so I mean yeah I still look forward to our Sundays but I think that that's always going to be a very major part growing up for me just thinking about going and being with the Gish family side but eating grandma's food and so well, you really, really got it, Grandma. It was just, you really used cooking to bring a family together. And I definitely know that I've taken a lot of recipes from you and taken up a lot of baking because you've always grown me up wanting to make cookies and peanut butter cookies. That's still one of the things you taught me how to make chocolate cake mix cookies those are my specialty amongst my friends and you're the one who kind of gave me the origin of that so even with the simple thing that you thought you were just bringing the family together for a Sunday it ended up affecting my baking life and now I'm known amongst my friends as one of the bakers they want me to make stuff all the time so it was just a really big impact for such a small moment <laughs> Here, I'll pause it for now. I'm realizing that after each of my interviews, I'm having like very short revelations on how each family member has impacted my life. 
Um, and it's really beautiful. I love, I love feeling this tremendous amount of love, this newfound love for my family. Um, yeah. And so I just really quickly want to thank, um, this assignment. Thank you, Kristen French for, um, for inspiring us to do these podcasts and to look into our family. Um, without this, my grandma wouldn't have cried from hearing that um, she's had an impact on my life and my aunt wouldn't have cried out of joy that I also, or that they also had an impact on my life. So thank you for those beautiful moments, Kristen. Um, yeah, I actually, I'm about to end this podcast um, but I just want to um, keep this in a teaching aspect. And I want to um, go into this podcast taking it um, with a grain of salt that I want to use all of this history in my classroom. I want students to grow up um in a school system that they feel free to discover their passions and their joys, like my family did, um, because I'm witnessing, and I am a witness to how having such a beautiful, free childhood like that um, affects me now, years and years later. I love chapter 10 in Affirming Diversity. Um, the title of this chapter is Implications for Teachers, Schools, Families, and Communities. And I'm reading a really great quote I wanted to end this podcast on, um, under balancing hope and despair. Um, yeah, it's about this, it's about this book that we've been reading this entire quarter. And this book has actually been very aspiring, so, um, if you want to read it, it's Affirming Diversity. The seventh edition is the one I'm reading out of. Um, the Sociopolitical Context of Multicultural Education by Sonia Nieto and Patty Bode. And here's that quote I was looking at. Affirming Diversity. The title of this book is at the core of multicultural education. It implies that cultural, linguistic, and other differences can and should be accepted, respected, and used as a basis for learning and teaching. Rather than maladies to be cured or problems to be confronted, understanding differences is a necessary starting point for learning and teaching, and this understanding can enrich the educational experience of students and teachers. What I'm taking out of this family podcast is a newfound inspiration to want to incorporate um, freedom, equality, and inspiration into the classroom. I want to be a resource that children can feel safe around to explore who they are as people. I want to embrace whatever roads they go down, and I want them to feel like they can search that road with a mentor. And I want to be that for them. I want them to feel safe in their classroom to come as they are. And that I can just be a mother heart for them to feel embraced in whatever decisions they make. I want them to embrace their culture. I want them to embrace the culture that they create and that they discover as they learn more about themselves. Anyway, I just, I'm so blessed to have gotten to do this podcast 
I feel like I've learned so much from my family. Um, Just the different creative sides. There was so much that I didn't even go into in this podcast because an hour just is not enough. Um, I feel like my family is just so creatively diverse and I kind of thought I was on my own in that way, but it just turns out that it, it comes in different forms and in different pictures. And so I just I thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy my family podcast. I took a lot of information from different resources. Um, one of the resources is Where I Am From, Inviting Students' Lives into the Classroom, um, which is an article by Linda Christensen. Um, I took quotes from Affirming Diversity in the 7th Edition, The Socio-Political Context of Multicultural Education by Sonia Nidio and Patty Boyd. I took it from Chapter 5, Culture, Identity, and Learning, and Chapter 10, Affirming Diversity, Implications for Teachers, Schools, Families, and Communities. I also read from Beverly Tatum, And I read from her article, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? Uh, 